0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Genesis chapter 25, I'm beginning with verse 1. It says, Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimron, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan were Ashuram, Latushim, Lumim, and the sons of Midian were Epha, Epher, Hanok, Abadah and Eldeah. All these were the children of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had. And while he was still living he sent them eastward away from Isaac his son to the country of the east. So this is kind of an interesting passage here. Uh, all we know about Keturah is basically what we read here. She's mentioned one other place in the Bible, and that's in First Chronicles. There's another genealogy that's related. You know, that's she's in the genealogy mentioned there uh, in First Chronicles. But that's all that we know about her, and uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know. God, you know, Abraham had Isaac at well, it was hundred years old when he had Isaac, and it was just it was miraculous. God, you know, he 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 just blessed Isaac, and it was a miracle that um, uh, blessed Abraham. It was a miracle that Abraham was able to have children. And you know, when God does a miracle, it's not like it's uh, okay, it's gone. It's like man, now he's able to continue having children. What a blessing! And so he marries Keturah after Sarah passes away, and uh, and he has all these more sons. Uh, But, you know, you think about it. God's promise to Abraham, he said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And so here God's really basically fulfilling his promise where Abraham would be a father of many nations. Now, the genealogical record doesn't extend further of... For these lines, although we'll hear about the Midianites and we'll hear about some different descendants of these people. um, But as far as the genealogy, that's the record. It ends right there. And why is that? Because this is his story. It's not history. It's his story. It's the story of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to follow the lineage of Jacob and Isaac, and, or Isaac and Jacob, and all the way down to Jesus, because that's what the Bible's about, right? It's about Jesus. Um, when you think about it, and I was reflecting, it's like, oh, how do you apply this into our day and age? And all I could think about is, you know, just like the genealogy that's not related to Christ, it's there, but, you know, it... it We don't follow it anymore because we're focused now on the genealogy of jesus all the way down to jesus um i think about you know the things that we do in our lives the the pursuits that we have the achievements that we arrive at uh the things that we're all about you know if they don't glorify jesus one day they're all going to fade away it's not going to be important it's just our relationship with the lord and so um how many of you guys remember magic eyes Sunday morning, uh, the Sunday newspapers they used to have, I know their books at them, it's like in the 80s or 90s, they had those, it was like, like kind of like a blurry image of all those different colors. They were called the magic eye and uh and then you know you had to look at them a certain way and once you looked at them all of a sudden you could see this 3d image inside you guys remember them i we my uh uh, teresa's stepfather he knew that our kids were into it and so he got the sunday paper for years and so every he would cut them out we actually i think we still have a drawer like it's like a phone book worth of these magic eyes from the newspaper and when they first came out, our, my kids were really into it, you know, and we get the little Magic Eye books, all these different images, and, you know, for the life of me, I couldn't see those images. It was like, man, what's, there must be something wrong with me and stuff. And you know how it is. You, you know, it's just there's all these different colors. You, you can't make it out, but you have to bring it real close to your face. You kind of you look past it, and you kind of, well, I'm getting dizzy doing that. But <laughs> you kind of go back, and then all of a sudden, as you're pulling it back, all of a sudden this image appears. And once you see the image, it's like, wow. And you start looking around the picture. You go, man, this, this is awesome. And you would have never really noticed it if you hadn't looked at it in that certain thing. You know, the sequence of these past events, like we're now sudden, we're reading about Keturah. It's like, okay, what's the deal with that? What's, what's the significance of that? It reminds me of one of those magic eye images. Because there's all these things. And when you look at it, you go, okay, this does, I, it's here, but it doesn't make sense to me the sequence of the scripture, of the narration here that we've been going over the last couple of weeks, to me, it's like a magic eye. It's like, a, it's, you know, everything seems disconnected until you get it into a certain focus. And once you get it into a focus, it's like,
1: oh, wow,
0: that's really cool. I see that now. What was the sequence that we talked about the last few weeks? First of all, back there in the chapter, I think it was uh, 23 was chapter, I believe it was chapter 23, when Abraham who's the father, he offers his one and only son, Isaac, the son that he loves on the altar as a burnt offering. Uh, you know, beautiful picture of, of God the Father offering his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for sin. That was the one thing. Then the next thing in that sequence, oh, by the way, in Isaac the son, as we talked about it in that one study, you know, he was probably in his 30s. And so it wasn't like a little child being placed on an altar. This was a man who was willing to be on the altar. And, of course, that's a picture of Jesus, the Son, you know, the Son of God who was willing to die on the cross for your and my sins. And that in that account, <clears throat> Isaac is considered dead by Abraham for three days because it was a three-day journey from the time that God told him to go out. He set out early the next morning, determined that he knew he was going to sacrifice Abraham or Isaac, excuse me. And uh, and so it was a three-day journey to that mountain. And so for three days, I'm going to be sacrificing my son. I'm going to be so for three days. As far as Abraham was concerned, Isaac was a dead man. And then the Bible in Hebrews says that Abraham received Isaac back from the dead, so to speak. When there was a ram that was caught in the thicket and he was, you know, just as he's getting ready to sacrifice his son, God says, stop, now I know that you love me. And then he saw this ram and it it was a substitute instead of Isaac. Um, so we saw that picture. What a beautiful picture of, of God the Father offering his son Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins and, and being risen from the dead. And after that figurative death and resurrection of the son, then all of a sudden in the sequence it's like it's almost like, okay, now we read about the fact that there's this, this family, uh, Abraham's brother Nahor, all his <coughs> descendants. And what we find out is in that narration there's the birth of Rebekah. Who's the bride? Will be the bride of of Isaac, and and you figure right after the Resurrection this is the birth of the Church, the Bride of Christ, right? That's the Church, and so you know we look at all these things, and all of a sudden we pull it into focus. and Go, oh wow, that's really cool. I see the I see the picture that God is painting here. Well, then the next thing we read about is that Sarah dies, and uh, she's buried in the cave that Abraham purchased. Now think about it. Sarah's the wife of Abraham. In this narration that we've been going through, Abraham's a picture of the father. And so Sarah's the wife. Does that mean God's married? No. Well, in a sense, yes. In the Old Testament, Israel is described as God's wife. So the nation of Israel. So it seems like Sarah is a picture of the nation of Israel. Now she dies. She's put away in a cave. What, what's that picture? Um, uh, <clears throat> well, Israel, right? They were put away. Israel is pictured as, as God's wife, and yet she's unfaithful, and she's put away by the Father. When did this take place? Well, it happened in a few different events. The northern kingdom of Israel, they went to Assyrian captivity. Later on, the southern nation, the southern kingdom, they went into Babylonian captivity. And then later, later on, they were all brought back into the land. Um, and then later on, 70 A.D., the entire nation is dispersed by the Romans. So in a sense, there's a picture there of going on. Well then, okay, so that's the the next thing in the sequence in this picture that that we're seeing. Well then last week, Abraham sends his unnamed servant back to Mesopotamia to bring back a bride for his son Isaac. And it's an unnamed servant, and yet the only servant that we know of by name in the Old Testament of Abraham is Eliezer of Damascus. And his name means God helper. El is God, and, and, and Eliezer, or laser, whatever, is helper in Hebrew. And it is the helper who is God. Well, who's this unnamed servant who's the helper? Well, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit being sent to retrieve a bride for the son. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in the world today. The Holy Spirit has gone into the world preparing a bride for the son. And what's interesting is we went through that narration, the bride was selected by the angel of the Lord, and yet at the end of the story, she's given the choice if she wants to go and be the bride. Do you want to do it? She says, yes, I'll go so i see a you know to me and i look at that and i go wow i see predestination she was selected and yet she also had free will to choose and the servant gives gifts to rebecca well the holy spirit gives gifts to the whole, to this church and at the end of that chapter isaac is in the field and where do we, what do we find him doing? He's meditating or praying. What is Jesus doing after he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven? He's interceding for you and I. He's praying on our behalf in heaven. And then at the end of that chapter, as he's in the field meditating, he meets his bride in the field. And if you go through the Bible, the field is always a picture of the world. And so here, Jesus meets his bride back in the world, and, and he brings her back to his mother Sarah's tent. The marriage is consummated. And what a beautiful picture of the rapture of the church and Jesus meeting his bride in the air, taking her back to heaven, and that's when the marriage supper of the Lamb commences. So we get this. It's like, wow, I see this now. Then we get this story about Keturah. It's like, okay, wait a minute. How does that fit into the picture? Listen, Ignore Keturah herself, okay. Ignore her. I want you to just look at verse one, the very first verses of, of words of verse one. Abraham again took a wife. The father again takes a wife. Remember, the wife was the nation of Israel. What's going on? The end of that last chapter, we saw a picture: of the rapture of the church. Jesus or the Son taking the bride, bringing her back to his tent, and the marriage is consummated. Then all of a sudden it says the Father again took a wife. What's that a picture of? That's the picture of the 70th week of Daniel, the, you know, the, the seven year tribulation. It's known as the time of Jacob's trouble. Listen, the church is the bride of Christ, but the nation of Israel is God's wife in scriptures. So, wow all of a sudden it's like man i see this what a beautiful thing here and that's the you know abraham's this whole narration about abraham god has painted a picture for us and if you look at it some of it seems really disconnected it's like what's the deal with that but when you get it into the focus of jesus you go wow now it makes sense i see it now So verse 7, Genesis chapter 25, verse 7. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived. 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Now I don't know about you, but in my Bible, of years is in italics. And what that means is that the Hebrew translators, they saw this and they said... We'll put this in here because it makes sense with the with the scripture that Abraham was full of years. Excuse me, (coughs) but in reality, the Hebrew scriptures basically says Abraham was full. He was full. What does that mean? That word "full" means to be sated, to be satisfied. You know, it's like when you go to Kingdom Buffet. And you spend the fifteen or the twelve or the fifteen bucks, it's like you ain't going out there. You're not just gonna get well, I'll just get a, you know, a little piece of meat and a little piece of salt. Man, you eat till you're sated, man. It's like at least I do, okay? If you ever take me there, man, it's like I gotta get my money's worth. I'm cheap, you know? It's like, okay, I spent twelve bucks, I'm gonna get at least twelve bucks worth of food. And I remember one time Teresa and I went after church. And it was just her and I, we were eating, and we got up, and I don't know about her, but I got up, and it's like, man, I, was like, I felt like my stomach was going to burst. I was about ready to undo my pants, but I couldn't because I was in the restaurant. I was, like, walking. I'm like, oh, I hurt so bad. I was so satisfied. <laughs> it was too much. <laughs> Gluttony's a sin, too, I think. But anyways. <laughs> but that's what that word means. Completely satisfied. And think about this Abraham was one of the most wealthy people in the Old Testament. Of course, Solomon was the wealthiest, but Abraham was very wealthy, and yet he never bought a piece of property except the one cave to bury his family and to bury his wife, and he would eventually be buried in. How could he live his life intense as a sojourner and yet be satisfied? <clears throat> You know, I was thinking about that. That type of lifestyle, and you know people that are up, and they, they, they're they here, and then they're gone. They're, here, they're gone. I remember there was a family that was part of our church, and that was that was like the story of their lives. It like It seemed like every couple months they were somewhere else, and then they're out of town, then they're back in town, then they're here, they're there. And it's, you look at that, and you go, man, they just don't seem like they're satisfied. Like they can never settle down and stuff. Um, that's the lifestyle that Abraham lived that su- suggests... Um, a restlessness and unsatisfaction, always searching. And yet here it says Abraham was full. He was satisfied. Why? Because in Hebrews eleven, it says that he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Man, he was just he this like the stuff of this world, it just it doesn't matter to me. I'm looking for heaven. Later on in verse 16 of chapter 11, it says, But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their father, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham was looking to the future. He was looking to eternity. Listen, he possessed nothing in terms of real estate except that cave that I mentioned. And yet, he possessed everything. He possessed the promises of God. He possessed those. He possessed friendship with God. The Bible says Abraham was a friend of God. And Abraham was content. And he was satisfied with that life. You know, the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. And you've probably heard that, right? I think it's in 1 Timothy. But I think a lot of believers, they kind of get it a little mixed up. And they think godliness with great gain is contentment. Man, if I can, I'll be godly. I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. But man, if I I gotta get this stuff, and then I'll be content. And that's the way the world thinks too. They they skip out the godliness part, of course. But they think if I can just gain, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? Well, that's that's not true. You look at you know you look at these wealthy movie stars, these wealthy you know these these rock stars, these people, these musicians, and they've got everything that you could imagine. And what do they do? Some of them they end up killing themselves. Because they realize, they get there and go, man, this, this is empty too. I've reached it and it's, it's still not satisfying. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Abraham was satisfied. Just think about that this morning. Are you satisfied? Or are you like always reaching? My God, I just, if I can just get that, then I'll be happy. Man, Abraham, he had it all and yet he had nothing. But he, was, he died full completely satisfied and so he died and it says that he was gathered to his people that phrase gathered to his people it's also said of moses well and aaron here in abraham isaac will be described to jacob and later on in this chapter ishmael as well well who are his people that he was gathered to well it would have been probably adam eve seth enoch methuselah lamech <sighs> noah and that's not the whole list, but all those who died in faith of a Messiah who would come later, they were his people. You know, if you get to Luke chapter 19, Jesus gives this an account. And by the way, it's not a parable and it's not an allegory. It's a story. It's a literal account of a rich man who dies and a poor man named Lazarus and they both die. And, uh, What we find out from that account in Luke chapter 19 is that before Christ's crucifixion, Hades or Sheol, it was divided into two compartments. And you can read that there in Luke 19. Um, The unrighteous dead, they go to the place of great torment. There's grief, there's flames, there's unquenchable thirst. The righteous dead, they go to a place of rest and waiting and they're comforted there by Abraham. Well, we know from scriptures that when Christ died and descended into hell, the Bible says he preached to prisons uh, to spirits in prison and he sets he set the captives free. What did he do? The righteous dead, those ones that were waiting for a coming Messiah, they died in that faith of waiting for his coming Messiah. He led them to heaven, to be in paradise with them. And now, that was the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Now the righteous dead, those who die now, who die in faith of who Christ, the Messiah who already came, who died for their sins, who rose again from the dead. We have a, a trust in Christ for sin. We're ushered immediately <clears throat> into Christ's presence in heaven. Paul said to be absent from the Lord, is to be, or to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. And so one day when we die, I got news for you. We're all going to die. Well, unless we're the generation that, of, that Jesus comes back for the church, we could be that generation. It could, it could be. But if that doesn't happen, if the rapture doesn't happen, one day all of us are going to die. And we're going to be gathered to our people. Who's our people? Our friends, our families, those who died in faith ahead of us. You know, the longer I live, the more I'm reminded that I'm a sojourner here. You know, the longer I live, man, it's like the family reunion's getting bigger and bigger. Just this, just a couple of days ago, another uncle of mine passed away. Uh, so another uncle. I, I have a ton of uncles and aunts. My dad had sixteen brothers and sisters, so I mean, there's a lot on that. And then my mom had, I don't know, seven or eight or something like that. So it, it's there's a lot of relatives. But that family reunion, the ripster side, anyways, it's getting huger and huger in heaven. And the more I live, the longer I think, you know what, man. This isn't my home, man. That's my home, because that's where my people are, and I'm going to be reunited with them. And I think that's the way, I really honestly believe my whole heart that when we get to heaven, you're not going to be sitting next to some, you know, you're not going to spend, like, share a bunk, you know, with some guy, or you'll be sharing bunks, but... sharing a dorm room you know in, in the mansion with with some some saint that lived in 8300 oh that might happen but i believe we're going to recognize those around us we're going to enter in and we're going to see those loved ones that went ahead. i mean that's my hope and I, I really think that there's scriptural basis for it gather to his people verse nine so we're continuing on here And his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried, and Sarah his wife. And it came to pass, after the death of Abraham, that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt at Beer Lahai Roy. So now Abraham, his life is ended God has done a work of faith in Abraham. He's the father of our faith. You know, you started out, he didn't really have that strong of faith. And we just see growth in his life. And now God's going to start working in Isaac's life. And now the story switches over to Isaac. But before that, we get to verse 12. And it's a genealogy of Ishmael. Remember, Ishmael was the son that was born. uh, It it was... uh, Abraham was his father, but Hagar was his mother, the Egyptian slave. Um, And he's, in the New Testament, he's referred to as the son of the flesh, not the son of the promise. Verse 12. Now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nebajoth, then Kedar, Abdil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadar, Tima, Jatur, Nefish, and Ketema. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names by their towns and their settlements. Twelve princes, according to their nations. These were the years of the life of Ishmael: one hundred and thirty-seven years, and he breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his people. They dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, as you go toward Assyria. He died in the presence of all his brethren. It's interesting. Here it says Ishmael, likewise, was gathered to his people. To me, that suggests that Ishmael, the man himself, was a worshiper of Jehovah God. That he himself had a relationship with God. Um, so we have this, this genealogical record. It's kind of a completing the, the history of Abraham and his descendants. But this genealogy, other than some of these children, we'll hear about these children, you know, the, the, the tribes or the, the nations and stuff. But the genealogy record ends here as far as Ishmael is concerned. Why? Because it's going to follow Isaac and his descendants all the way down to Jesus Christ the Messiah. Because again, it's his story. It's his story. Verse 19... This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, Aram, the sister of Laban the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And think about that. Isn't that Interesting. Remember, God had promised Abraham, you know, that his seed and going all the way back to Eve, you know, she, her seed, you know, the Messiah would descend from her seed. And we get to Abraham and Abraham finally got the son of the promise, Isaac. Isaac um, marries Rebekah, who that promised seed would descend from. And yet she's barren. It's like, wait a minute. I thought, I thought, you know, God had a plan and a purpose. And yet she was barren and she was barren for 19 years. Isaac, they were married when Isaac was 40 and the twins are born when Isaac is 60. So 20 years, 19 years of being pregnant. Or, excuse me, 19 years. No, that, uh, all the women are ready to stone me right now. No, no, no. 19 years of being, of being pregnant. I couldn't imagine that. But 19 years of being barren, okay, roughly. Listen, God had a plan and a purpose and God has a plan and a purpose in your and my life as well. But it still requires prayer. It still requires prayer. And so... Isaac pleads with the Lord for 19 years. How many of you have prayed and said, "You know, I'm, I'm seeking the Lord about this thing," and it's been a year, or maybe it's been five years. I mean, I don't think God's going to answer my prayer. I'm, what's the use? He's the answer. He's, he hasn't answered my prayer yet. 19 years he prayed, and yet it was part of God's plan. But God still wanted he wanted Isaac to pray. God was see God's doing a work in Isaac. It's not just all about just, you know, just it's all going to get laid out. God cares about each one of us, and, you know, he has a plan and a purpose for us, and he wants us to be in prayer about it because he wants to work something in our lives. And so Isaac prayed, and then the Lord granted his plea. You think about Abraham and Sarah, right? Sarah was barren for many, many years, right? Uh, she was 90 years old or so, something like that, 80, 90 years old, um, all those years of being barren, and you see, God was doing a work in their lives as well, and he does that in each generation. He does it in your and my life too. He, he wants to build faith and he wants to build preservation or perseverance, not preservation, perseverance in each of us god 's trying to build character in us. so God had a plan and a purpose, and yet it still required prayer. And God has a plan and a purpose, but listen, it was not without difficulty. Because look at it, it says she had extreme discomfort during pregnancy. She says, if all is well, why am I like this? Have you ever felt that way? If this is part of God's plan, why is this so difficult right now in my life? And so what did she do? The best thing she could have done, she inquired of the Lord about it. "Lord, Lord, what's the deal with this? And the Lord replied to her, and said, two nations are in your womb. So in other words, there's twins. She didn't know that. The Lord told her that. Listen, two nations are in your tomb. She said, hey, tell you, there's two babies in your tomb. Two nations are in your tomb. Life begins at conception. I firmly believe that. Jeremiah 1 verse 4 and 5, it says, God's speaking to Jeremiah. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So listen, not only does the Lord see a person in the womb, but in this case, he sees nations. He sees all the children that will be born from those children and the generations fall and finally get to a nation. There's two nations in your womb. And he says, two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. I want you to remember that the older shall serve the younger, because when we get into Isaac's uh, life, as we get into his story not his story, but you know the story of Isaac 's life, Isaac and Rebekah both knew that. They both knew that God had said the older is going to serve the younger, and we're going to see that Isaac is going to try to subvert god's will. He's going to try to make Esau be the benefit of them. we 'll we'll get to that when we get to that part of the narration. Verse 24. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. Most babies come out red, but he must have been really red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Esau means hairy. Hey, that's a perfect, this guy is hairy. Let's call him hairy. <laughs> So That's his name. Listen, <clears throat> there were twins, right? And the first to come out of the womb was Esau. And even though the twins, you know, who knows how long it was between the delivery of the twins, maybe it was just moments or whatever, Esau is now the firstborn. He's now the oldest child, the firstborn. And that is significant in the Jewish culture. It was significant in that day of age. The firstborn, they were given what was known as the birthright. They had the birthright of the firstborn. What does that mean? It means that when Isaac died... When he finally died, the spiritual role of being the priest of the family would now be transferred to Esau, to the firstborn. Whoever the firstborn was. He'd become the, the spiritual priest of the family. Not only that, but the legal role as <clears throat> would be transferred to him. He'd have the judicial authority over you know, all the business transactions, all the property, everything, he'd have the legal authority of his father. And then finally, he'd have a double portion of the inheritance because of all these responsibilities that were given him. That was the firstborn. Verse 26. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So <clears throat> he comes out and he's grabbing on to Esau's heel and they go, hey, let's call him heel catcher, <laughs> which is what Jacob means. Or it can also be translated supplanter. What does supplanter mean? I looked it up. I looked up in a dictionary. It means to take the place of another as through force, scheming, strategy, or the like. They're looking at it go, like, man, this, he's after that firstborn. He's after him. And, you know, heel catcher. Can you imagine? Have you ever, you know, I remember, man, in, in elementary school, I I wasn't a bully, but I remember getting bullied. And I remember these kids, man, they'd always be out there, they'd try to trip you or they'd stand behind you. One guy would kneel down behind you and they'd go, hey, push you, and you'd fall back. You know, it was always someone always trying to trip you up. That's kind of what this means, this supplanter, this heel catcher, always trying to trip you up. They, they go, man, this guy, we'll name him that. We'll name him heel catcher. Verse 27, so the boys grew And Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And I don't know, well, I'm going to ask you to raise hands, because I don't know that anybody here has had twins, but... If you know twins, sometimes I've known twins growing up. It's like one, they can be like polar opposites, and yet they look alike. Polar opposites. Well, that was kind of the case here, although they didn't look alike. Esau was hairy. Jacob apparently wasn't that hairy. Um, But Esau says here he was a skillful hunter. Man, he was a man of the field. A man of the world, we might say. He was a man's man. He was an outdoorsman, man. He was a hunter. He was always out there just enjoying the world, enjoying nature, doing stuff. And Jacob was a mild man. Now, that doesn't mean effeminate. okay? It doesn't mean like he was like, oh, you know, Jacob. No, Jacob, what it means is, literally means an ordinary, quiet sort of person. And he's a shepherd. Uh, He was more of a homebody. Jacob's out there, or excuse me, Esau's out there in the field hunting, catching animals, doing all this stuff. Jacob's like, you know what, I just want to hang out around here. I'm just going to hang out here. Uh, he wasn't out to prove his manliness. He's just, I'm, I'm, sad. I'm content to be here, hanging out here. Verse 28, and Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. That's a sad verse, by the way. That's a very sad verse. I was thinking about that. Why did e, uh, Isaac love Esau? Well, you know, when you read about e, e, Isaac's life, in my mind he seems to have been more like Jacob than Esau. It's just kind of the way I read it. It's like he just seems to be not as, you know, an outdoorsman, a hunter and all this, but he probably admired those characteristics in his son Esau. And, and he probably, I'm guessing that he wishes he had those characteristics in himself. And so it's like Esau's living out the dream or, you know, Isaac's living out the, the dream through Esau. Like, he's a, he's a man's man, man. I'm so proud of him and all that stuff. I, you know, the scripture doesn't tell us that, but I'm thinking that might be why. On the other hand, Rebekah was probably drawn more to Jacob's sensitivity. Jacob's probably a lot more aware of his surroundings. He was, you know, okay, so Esau's out in the field hunting, he's always gone doing stuff. Jacob's hanging out by the tents. And if you're a mother, it's great to have an older son hanging around because they can help you do stuff. They can watch Celebrity Chef with you. <laughs> but, but, but no, they can, they can do stuff, you know? Hey, hey, Jacob, or uh, um, yeah, Jacob, can you help me? Sure, Mom, I'm, yeah, I can do that. So, you know, there's this relationship there where Esau's gone, probably gone a lot. And you know what we're going to see later? Esau is less aware of his surroundings. Why? Because he's going to marry a couple women that are not pleasing to his mom and dad. They're foreign wives. And it's like he wasn't even thinking. Jacob seems to be more of a thinker. Esau is more of a just like, get out there and do it. I'm a man, man. I'm just going to go out there and do it and stuff. Now listen, the parents, I am sure if you were to ask them, they probably said, I love both my children. I love Esau. You know, I, I love Esau. I love Jacob. They probably would say that. And yet, according to this scripture, they had preference. They showed preference man that's a sad way for I was thinking about my life. you know I thought you know what i I can honestly I have three other two brothers and a sister, and I look at their lives and I go you know i, I don't I don't feel like any one of us was loved more than the other. I think my parents were you know I'm not talking about being equitable, like you have to give you know dole out exact amount of m and m s to each child I'm not talking about that, but you know as far as I didn't feel like I was unloved to the extent of someone else was loved more, and yet. I know adults who were children who grew up in that they they know that they were not as loved as another sibling, and it, you look at their lives and it's like I, can't, I'm, I i go man i i I was blessed I can't imagine growing up in a family where one parent you know they they love one child over the other, and it does happen. It does happen. It's such a sad way for a child to grow up. And I guess what? It's not lost on the child either. They know it. They can sense it. They they, they know it. Um, And so what a sad thing that there's this division here. Verse 29. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. Edom, by the way, is red. And so here's he's got this another nickname because of this, this, this incident. Verse 31. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. It wasn't just the double portion of the, of the inheritance that Esau's like, You know what? It's not that important to me. You know, It wasn't just that that he was willing to instra- trade that, that birthright in exchange for this immediate satisfa- satisfying of the, or satisfaction of the flesh, right? I'm hungry, I'm starved, I'm famished, I just, you know, it doesn't matter. He was also willing to trade away his position as spiritual priest of the family, as the judicial authority over his father's possessions, all of it for a bowl of stew. man. He was able to be bought. <clears throat> How about you today? Man, are you able to be bought? What, what's your price? What's your price? And the Holy Spirit here calls it for what it is. It says, Esau despised his birthright through this one action. There's a commentary on it, and it's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. The writer of Hebrews says this pursue peace with all people and holiness. Holiness. "...without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears." The Holy Spirit says he despised his birthright, and he says he was a profane person. Now, profane—you you know the word profanity, right? Profanity—you uh, know, swearing, you know, the, the the coarse language and all that. <clears throat> I'm sure there's a there's a there's a tie to the meaning, but that's not what this is talking about. I don't think it's like Esau just he had bad language. No, he was profane. What does that mean? The word profane means unhallowed, common. And it's in respect of the sacrifices, you know, in the altar, in, in the temple and stuff. You know, the things that were set, they were purified, they were set apart, they were holy. And then the things that were outside were common. They were just everyday, you know, they were, they were not satisfied. They were not holy. That's, that's what profane is. Common. Just like everyone else. And there are Christians that are profane. They live just like everyone else. You look at their life and you go, I, don't, I, I, I can't see a difference between them and anybody else because the, they're living their life in a profane manner. Let me ask you this. Do people look at your life and do they see a difference in your life? Or are you just like them? Ezekiel the prophet in chapter 22, he talks about uh, the, the difference between holy and holy. He says this, he's speaking about the priests of Israel because they were profane. He says, her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the clean and the unclean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. The things of the Lord were just common to them. They didn't care about them. And that's the way Esau looked at this. He said, I don't, I, what's this birthright to me? I just want that food, man. I just want to uh, satisfy my flesh. That's what, That was his attitude there. He had a price. And how low of a price was it? He was willing to sacrifice all that over a bowl of stew. Man. You know, there's... People that they sacrifice marriages, they sacrifice reputations, they sacrifice you know their their honor and their dignity over just one one. Dis, they would call it a lack of discretion sin. They've given into their flesh, and man, what the price they pay! It was it was they were bought very cheaply. It says therefore you know afterward that he wanted to inherit when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Listen, and this is the lie of the enemy. Esau wanted the blessings of the firstborn, but not the responsibilities. And he thought, and the enemy lied to him, you know, you can, you can just forget all that spiritual stuff. You're a hunter, man. You're out there. You know, you do your own thing. Don't worry about spiritual stuff. But you can still be blessed by the Lord because you're his child. And, and there's people that go through their life, they want the blessings of the, of, of the Lord, but they, they, the spiritual aspects, I could care less about that. I just want the blessings. That's the way Esau lived his life. He wanted the blessings of the firstborn, but not the responsibility of being the firstborn. We're going to continue through the life of Esau and Jacob. And, you know, Jacob's not a saint. He's not a saint. We'll see that. He's a conniver. His name fits his reputation. But we also see Esau. Esau, he just makes bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. And it's it's just downhill for him. Well, we're at the end of this chapter. And uh, I'm going to have you guys, actually, I'll have Luke come forward if he's ready. Luke's going to close us out with a um, last worship song. And I'm going to invite, we have a few people here, um, Teresa, John, and Mary, would you come up? And they're going to be available for prayer. And I kind of want you to just reflect about this chapter. Um, You know, the, the, the things that we've talked about today, Sometimes, you know, we've kind of despised the spiritual things. We've just gone after the flesh just to satisfy the flesh. But we still want God's blessings. Maybe there's, maybe, there's a, maybe there's a time we need to just come to the Lord. We just need to repent of those things. We want to give you that opportunity to see this after at the end of the service here. If you want to come forward for prayer, we want to invite you up for prayer. But not only that, maybe, maybe you're in the position of Rebecca. You've been waiting and praying, and, and it's like the Lord hasn't answered that prayer yet. It's been so many years, and I'm, I'm discouraged. We want to invite you up to come forward also, and we'll pray with you. Those individuals I asked to come forward, they're, they're going to be here at the end of the service, and for whatever need you need to pray for, if you need prayer, stay around, linger, linger with us, and we'll pray with you and pray for you, and whatever it might need. Maybe you don't even have a relationship with the Lord. Maybe this all the stuff we've been talking about, is like, you know, I don't have that relate. If you want to have a relationship with Jesus, we want to pray with you to receive Christ this morning. You'll have that opportunity to do that as well. Whatever it is, we're just here for you. We don't want you to leave with an unmet need. So let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, the picture that we see here, and Father, I just pray for each and every individual here. Lord, I know your word teaches us that you have a plan and you have a purpose for each one of us. Our lives are not insignificant. We might feel like they are, but they're not, Lord. You You have a plan, and yet, Lord, you want us to be in prayer. You want us to be seeking you. And you also, Lord, it's not always easy. But, you're, Lord, you're doing a work in us. And you're wanting to, to grow us in our faith and our trust in you and our, our perseverance. And, and, Lord, just our trust. Lord, you're building character in us and godliness and holiness and sanctification. And, Lord, I pray that you would just continue that work in each one of us. And I thank you for the reminders uh, this morning of the work that you want to do in our lives, Lord. We're, those, these men and these women, Lord, they, they've all passed away. Lord, they are in your presence now. And, Lord, we're the generation that's here today. And, Lord, you still have a plan and a purpose for this world. And, Lord, we're part of that plan. or we're part of your purpose. And, Lord, I pray that we might be about your purpose and be about your plan, Lord God. That we might be seeking you. and, And, Lord, that we would consider our lives as sojourners, Lord. Realizing that this place is not our home, Lord. We have an eternal home. And that, Lord, we would be eternally focused and not earthly focused. So I thank you for your word this morning. Thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Till the day I see
0: want to pray a blessing on you as we're as we're being dismissed and and again if you if you want some prayer come forward we'd love to pray pray with you and pray for you heavenly father i thank you for each and every person here this morning lord i i I pray that lord your spirit spoke to each one of us this morning and i trust that you did and lord i pray that uh, you would bless each of us as we go through our week lord god that we would be mindful of you and your presence and your plan for us, and that, Lord, we would be focused on eternity, focused on you, and, and Lord, looking forward to your return. And so I pray your blessing on your people, and I thank you for each and every person here this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.